we are now halfway through this series called Asking for a Friend. Uh, this is a series about asking those difficult questions and getting those awkward questions out of the way, the stuff that you don't even ask your friends or maybe even ask your parents or even ask your own pastor. These are certain questions that, or even controversial topics that I've been wanting to hit neck, like, like to the throat for this, for this series. And, um, Tess, okay. I was making sure it lowered down. You're good. Okay. Um, so the first week I talked about, uh, the first two weeks of this series that we started with, I talked about, uh, sexuality. So the first week I talked about homosexuality and I also talked about, um, gender identity issues. Second week, I talked about sexual sin and pornography. And I, and I told you my testimony last week about my battle with pornography and how you're not supposed to fight that type of sin. You're supposed to run from it. The way, the reason why you're not supposed to fight it is because the Bible says you sin against your own body. That's why you're supposed to run from it because it was a gift from God that was distorted for the enemy's use to use it as sin. So this is the second segment of this series. I went through the first segment, which was sexuality. For this, for these, for these next two weeks, I want to talk about mental health. Mental health is probably even a bigger component than just sexuality in our culture, especially for you guys as teenagers. Mental health is everything. Um, I, I love the phrase mental health is still health because I'm, I'm kind of proud of this generation doing more mental health than people would do back then because because your mental health is more important now than it ever has been. And I think it ultimately comes from the fact that, you know, we live, if you think about it, it's that rain is going to distract me. I'm sorry. I'm going to try and talk. We live, I mean, I might sound like your parent. I might sound like a grandpa when I say this, but we live in an information age. We live in an age where you can have, you can, you can read tens of thousands of articles on your cell phone. You can read, like, like for example, I read this the other day. It was a, it was an, a, an article where it talked about how the, the murder of, of John F. Kennedy, it actually took a while for the information to get out to the U.S. and to the world. What I read was it went from the White House. It's like it took it from the White House to where we're at in South Louisiana, it took about three to four days for the word to get out. That's how long it took back then. Now you see live streams of Ukraine. You see live streams of all these wars. You, you get to see the information on your phone. And so we live in an information age where all the information is given. You know how they say ignorance is bliss? I love that phrase because it's so true. When you don't know that much, you're not as anxious as much. I've learned that if I don't know more, then I'm anxious less. But the problem is, is that because we live in an information age and some of our personalities are very analytical, the problem we run into is, is that when we get more information, it doesn't do us any good. It might make us more intelligent, but at the same time, it makes us more anxious. And then even with depression, depression is another big one. I want to I wasn't going to do this, but I want to tackle the surface level anxiety and depression. I want to tackle the medical part because people say, oh, don't tackle the medical part. They're diagnosed. It doesn't matter. You can't talk about that. I think God wants to talk about it. I think God wants to really tackle the medical stuff because with him, all things are possible. So I don't believe that you can't just talk about metal, just the surface level and not talk about the medical part. And so 
I want to preach on that for these two topics that I'm going to talk about tonight. The first thing I want to talk about is the anxiety part. And this is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. The context of this is that Jesus is addressing people who worry. Because anxiety, the root of anxiety comes from worry. Did you know that? It comes from worry. It comes from you freaking out about something, which we all do. I do. The majority of us will get anxious and get scared and get worried about things that we either can't control or something that has just happened that has blew us out of proportion. And Jesus addresses this in verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. That's easy for you to say, Jesus. What you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear is life more than food and the body more than clothes. I love how we can relate to that today because no matter what type of clothes you wear, no matter what type of status you have, it makes you worry more. Like if I was more worried about a Gucci belt that I wanted to wear. Now, obviously girls wear this, so I'm just, I'm just trying to make a stereotype. When you wear, when you wear the stuff, the high status, the stuff you want to wear, it, it makes you look good in a moment, but it still makes you sometimes anxious about what you wear. Or let me put it this way. You're anxious about going to school, about what people think about you from one year to another, how you've changed. Maybe you look different. Maybe you sound different. And then when you go back to school, people look at you funny. And people look at you different. But Jesus is saying, what is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away, store away any, store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So what he's basically saying is that birds don't have a job. Birds don't have Instagram. Birds don't have insecurities. They don't have anything. They're very, very clueless. They don't store anything. They don't do anything. They're not prepared for the apocalypse or something like that. They're not, they're not worried about anything. And they don't do anything. And in your mind, you think if they were a human being, they, they should get on it because you have to do a ton of things. But he's saying if the birds don't know what they're doing and he's providing for them, and he says that we are more important than the animals of this earth. This means that if God knows how to clothe you, if God knows how to provide for you, if God knows how to supply for you, worrying, watch this, worrying does you no good. Worrying, what worrying does is actually makes the matters worse. Now, it's okay to worry in the moment. I'm fine with worrying in the moment. I don't care. I will, I, you will see me get anxious about something because I have a lot of anxiety. This sweat right here is not holy sweat. It's anxiety. Like, I'm, like I have anxiety sweat. And, and I, have, I have performance anxiety, situational anxiety, all kinds. I think y'all can relate to that. Some of us have these types of symptoms. And the funny thing is, is that all of the anxiety that I deal with I've learned that it's okay to be anxious for a moment, for a moment, not for three weeks, not to stay in a constant fear tactic over and over 
for a long time. That's what's the problem with anxiety nowadays. It's constant. Anxiety was not met for the way we see it now. Anxiety is everywhere. You see it. You see it in your own life. You see it in your friend's life. You see it in everything. I've learned this, that, that anxiety was never meant for natural situations. Anxiety was actually meant, um, they call it the fight or flight uh, thing in your mind, where if something is happening, you, if something dangerous is happening, you get anxious because anxiety gives you this signal that you're in danger. That's what anxiety is supposed to do. So like if you're, I don't know, getting shot or something, like, you know, think of a, don't freak out about the scenario. Don't think about that. But what I'm saying is, is that like if something happened, anxiety is supposed to kick in because it's supposed to let you know and indicate that you're in danger. But you're not in danger when you're in a room by yourself. You're not in danger when you're, having to stand up on a stage and preach a message? No, you shouldn't have anxiety. Why? Because the pressures of life and the information that life brings can cause a lot of anxiety. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about your life. Well, that's easy for you to say, Jesus. That is so easy for you to say, you're the son of God. How is this easy for me to just not worry at all? What he means by worry is he doesn't mean to stuff it. He means that it's in his hands. That's what he means. He's not saying stuff your worry and just move on. What he's saying is, is that it's okay to worry for the moment, but now your next move is to let me take you. Put it in my hands. If the birds are provided, if, if, let me read further, let me read further. Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers, he's talking about the flowers, of the field grow. They do not labor nor spin. Yet I will tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. See where he says pagans? He's talking about the world's version of anxiety. He's talking about how we have adapted to what the world's anxious about. We have adapted to what what the world calls worry, anxiety, pressure. That's what he calls it. And so now Jesus is saying, don't follow what the pagans follow. Don't chase, because here's the problem. Anxiety comes from self. Anxiety comes from, uh, what's the thing they say on TikTok? Like, like you're the main character or whatever. Like, you're the main character in your life. The problem with the main character in your life is that the main character becomes the victim in their life. So when you play the main character and you get nervous about how your life's going to go, and you're scared about, oh, what's going to happen to me? What's going to, what, what am I going to go through? When you start placing yourself in the middle of the stage, no wonder you're anxious. Because you have put yourself in the middle and God is saying, hover out a little bit. Get a greater perspective when you're anxious. Stop putting yourself in the middle and put me in the middle. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to stop putting yourself in the middle. 
Not as a selfish thing. He's not saying that you're selfish because we all do. We're all human. We all have flesh. But he's saying, take yourself out of it and put me in it. That's what he's saying. That's, that's all he wants you to do is to stop putting yourself in the middle and put God in the middle. Amen. Put yourself, put yourself out the middle. Because when you, now listen, I get it. Because in a situation where you have no control, it's like, what do I do? But that's where God's teaching you to give him control. That's where God's teaching you to put him in the middle. Instead of putting yourself in the middle. Let me jump to verse, oh, let me go back. Verse 32. Yeah. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Watch this. This is all you have to do. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. And each day has enough trouble of its own. A.K.A. tomorrow has its own drama. I need to deal with drama for today. I need to stop jumping to the drama ahead and focus on what God has given me right now, today, in this season. Instead of trying to work my way and see what I can plan ahead. Because tomorrow's not promised. All right, let's be honest in here. If you're a control freak, raise your hand. One, two. Y'all are teenagers. Y'all are running free. Y'all are spontaneous. What? Who's a control freak in here? Raise your hand. I want to see your hand. Hey, I like the honesty. Yeah. <laughs> control freak. You know what's funny? The people who don't think they're control freaks are secretly control freaks. Ooh. The reason why I think that because I didn't think I was a control freak. I didn't think I was. Until, <laughs> until, until I got a position in this ministry is when I learned that I'm a control freak. Once I started, I hate to say this, got in a relationship, I'm a control freak. I'm not that controlling. I don't put her in a prison. I'm just joking. I'm just messing. <laughs> I'm joking. That's a bad joke. I learned that I control more. Here's what's funny. There's two different types of people. There's a certain type of people who aren't controlling of everything else, but they control them. I've, I've seen that. That's like me. I don't, look, situation-wise, it does not bother me because it does not concern me. It is not, I am not in control of it. I know that. But I'm in control of me. And sometimes when you're in control of you, it can get unhealthy. Because once you can control your peace, you won't let any, anyone in. When you can control your, when you think you can control and conceal yourself, you start to stuff. Controlling you, you start to stuff things. And then you got the other ones. You got this, the, the uh, thing one and thing two. This is thing two. Control freaks, what they call control freaks, control everything else around them because they can't control themselves. So they, cho- so they take everything else around them to control. Because I've learned this about gossip too. <laughs> I learned this about gossip too. Gossip happens when you don't want to deal with you. So when you don't want to deal with your own problems and your own dysfunctions, you start throwing it on somebody else saying, oh, they're worse than me. And it's the same thing with controlling. When you can try to control everybody else, when you try to control a situation, you're more stressed because it's not yours to bear. That's why. 
uh, it was funny. Uh, me and Sarah talked about this just the other day about uh, uh, how, like, when you, when you get too much information of something. And uh, I was mentioning to her, she was telling me something. I think it was the day I was at work or something like that. I don't even remember. But she was telling me a lot of stuff at once. And, I, and then I was like, I stiff-armed her, like, like a running back. I stiff-armed her. And I was, I was like, I can't hear all that. And she was like, well, it's, it's really, really good. I got to tell you this. I, gotta, I was like, let's wait till, you know, tomorrow because I'm a little overloaded today. And I've learned that, like, like the different personality that me and Sarah have, I don't care about information. Keep it to yourself. If it's too much, I'm fine. Don't tell me. I would rather live in peace rather than live in, in, in whatever that is. For Sarah, Sarah can handle that because of the way she's wired. She's able to handle more information than I can. But what I've learned about information is that that's why certain people that have that per- now Sarah loves the Lord, but let me let me explain. Some people like that don't like God because God doesn't tell them everything all at once. God doesn't tell you everything at once in your life. He did not tell Abraham all of the steps on how he was going to become the descent, the father of many nations. He just told him he was the father of many nations. He didn't tell him a. Hey, X, Y, Z, this is going to happen. Samson's going to get his hair cut off and you're going to have all this blood and all this war. He didn't tell him all that because if he would have told Abraham that, Abraham would have had a heart attack. He would have died right there when God said him because it was too much. So why do we think that we can hold all this stuff in and not be anxious? And the problem is, is that we're learning to control and that's what makes some of us anxious sometimes. If, Like for example, this is very, very pitiful. If the service, like tonight, doesn't go the way I think it should go, I get depressed. Why? Because I have a control freak mentality over performance. Does that make sense? I have a control freak mentality over how things perform, not letting God move. So I have to let go of my control freak mentality and let God do what He what he's come to do. Just because a microphone messes up doesn't mean God's not going to do anything. Just because, just because I mess up on a word or I say something really, really stupid doesn't mean God's not going to speak to you. I have to stop letting perfection, which is control, let me, let it, let that thing govern me through while I preach. Because I want everything to do the way it's supposed to and the way it's supposed to maneuver. I want that to happen. But God says, do not worry. It's easy for you to say, Jesus, I can't do it. Yeah, you can, because the same spirit that lives in you is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That's the Holy Spirit. And so when you start to decide, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm not saying you won't be anxious in the moment. But are you staying in it enough to where it is making you miserable? It's making your life miserable. And so you have to ask yourself these questions because Jesus painted that perfect picture of anxiety for those of us who struggle with it. I've learned something about, about uh, I don't know if this is just me. I know I, because I was just talking about the phones from before, but I get really anxious. And tell me I'll relate to this. When somebody texts me or when I text them and they haven't texted back and I haven't heard a ding, I keep checking my phone every five minutes. Does anybody else do this? I always check my phone. Like, it's like, okay, okay, they didn't text. Okay, five minutes, okay, okay, okay. Like, they haven't responded yet. Or maybe it's a snap or whatever it is. Like, you're just like, oh, man, are they going to, okay, no, no, oh, 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 no. Like, 
we live in an anxious state because of what we try to control and what culture brings as overload. This is overstimulating sometimes for me. For me. I don't know about y'all. Y'all might be holy in this room, but for me, I can't handle this all the time because I get overstimulated and then it causes me to be anxious because I'm going to this as an escape route rather than going to my father as an escape route. Right? I go to this rather than him. And so Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. And the reason why you worry about tomorrow is because you worry about everything else along with tomorrow. And God is telling you to release certain things. He's telling you to release. I want to get into this heavy, this heavy part because I want, I want some of you to understand this. I want to get into the depression part. Because anxiety is natural now. Natural, it's everywhere. It's in all of us. But something about depression that really hits me is that it's not that you're depressed. It's that you're ashamed of being depressed. And what our, what our culture, a.k.a. church culture, has taught is that if you are doom and gloom, you're not in God, you're not in the Lord, or you're not, you're not, you're not pursuing the Lord. I want to show you something that I think will break all of those stereotypes. Because some of you need to know that you don't have to feel ashamed of something that you're going through. This whole message tonight is about involving God in your problems. That's what this message is about, involving God. It's not about just anxiety and depression. It's about involving God in your problems. Because you will see a greater growth, greater fruit. That's what he talks about on the true vine. And everything I see that's good fruit, I prune to make it even more fruitful. This is what this message is about. It's about involving God. Because what we've been taught about God is you ask God to take take it away. He takes it away. And that's it. That's all that happens. He takes away the pain. He takes away the anxiety. He takes all this away. I don't think that's a good relationship. It's like you're just using someone for your own benefit. And I had to learn this. God does not take things away and then leaves you alone. If you have a true relationship with God, if you involve him, if you put him in that situation you're going through or that depressed season that you're going through, his presence will maneuver you through that season of your life because you're waiting for him to snatch it. Do it, God. Bring the faith. Yes, Lord. Make it happen. No, 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 no. God is saying, let me sit in that place. Let me sit in that place that you don't bring anybody else. Let me be that because that's what God does. That is what they call, you know, the, the good, good father is who you are, is who you are, is who you are. We want him to be a good, good father when he does things for us. Like maybe if our parents do the same thing, but God is not like that. God is more than a, than a good, good father. He is a great father in order to sit in a problem where, like Sarah said in the beginning, he sits with you when you cry. He sits with you when you're frustrated. He sits with you when you don't feel so Christian. He sits with you when you're going through a lot of grief that you don't tell anybody else. He sits with you because he's a great father. He's a great father. And I want to show you this in first, I think it's first Kings. 
I want to give you some context. If you know who Elijah the prophet is, raise your hand. If you know who Elijah the prophet from the Bible. Okay, a lot of y'all know him. Called down a fire from heaven. He told the Lord, do not let it rain for three years. And the dude did it. He proved everybody wrong. He was like, ah, no rain for three years. Bam, nothing. He was a prophet. He was one of the biggest prophets. He was actually the, one of the only, only, the only people in the Bible that didn't see death. And God snatched him up and brought him to heaven. He's one of the only people. And that means he's holy, right? He's like pretty, he's like the man of the job. Like he's like, he ain't no pastor. He's a prophet. Like he's huge. He's called down fire from heaven. All of this stuff. Like he's, he's magnificent. He's a great man of God. But something about Elijah's story at the end of this that I want to hone on before I close. This is very, very important. Verse one, first Kings 19, verse one. Now Ahab told Jezebel, Jezebel was the one that was trying to kill Elijah. Told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and now, and how he killed all the prophets. Basically, he killed all the false prophets of Baal. That's what Elijah was supposed to do. He destroyed all the false prophets and he reigned over Baal from doing this. And Jezebel heard about this. He had killed all the prophets with a sword. Verse two. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me. Be it ever so severely by, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. That's a threat. But it was only a threat. As you read First Kings, Jezebel never did anything. She couldn't do anything. Yet she still threatened Elijah because Elijah had purpose. He was a prophet called down fire from heaven, all this stuff. He had a purpose, so he wasn't going to die. Just, God's not going to let somebody stop a purpose. God's not going to let someone stop a destiny. It's not going to happen. But watch what Elijah does. Verse 3, put that up. Elijah was afraid. Is that right? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah he left his servants there. Next verse. Next verse. While he himself went on a day's journey to the wilderness, he came to a broom brush and sat down under it and prayed. Watch, look. That he would see the goodness of God in the land of the living? No, 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 no. That he'll see the gloriness of Jesus in all of his splendor? No, 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 no. He prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. This breaks every single stereotype about how Christians need to have it all together. It breaks every stereotype because guess what? If you're a Christian or a leader or a pastor, you're not supposed to deal with anything. Nothing. If you deal with something, you're not a Christian. But let me show you this. This dude was a prophet. Greater than anybody else in this room. And this dude was depressed. He dealt with suicidal thoughts. And he asked God, let me die. I would rather die now. Because I have seen she's threatened me. I just want to, I want to die. That shocked me when I saw that verse. Because... 
What doesn't make sense is that he's a great prophet. He's not supposed to worry. He's not supposed to be depressed. He's not supposed to be anxious because the Lord is his strength and all this stuff. And I know the verses, but he's saying, I've had enough. I've had enough. I've had enough, Lord. You've had enough lately. You've had enough. You've been ashamed of what you've been going through lately. You've been ashamed because you have been told something by someone who thought they were holier than you to tell you, you should not be dealing with that. There might be a spirit upon you or whatever they try to say. And they tell you, look, look at Elijah. This was a great prophet called down fire from heaven. He prayed that it wouldn't rain for three years. And he was depressed. He was depressed. So if you're depressed, it doesn't mean you're not holy. I need you to hear that. Just because you're depressed does not mean that you are not holy through Christ in God's eyes. Next verse. I want you to see this. Because God does something that I believe he wants to do for you this evening. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. He just needs a good nap. That's all he needs. I'm joking. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Next verse. He looked around and there by his head was some bread. There was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. There was bread and there was a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he laid down again. Next verse. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him. Watch this. This made me emotional. I read this yesterday. Get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. The Lord wants to tell you, it's been a lot. You've been stressing about certain things. It's been a lot for you. It's been far too much. You've been really alone lately. You've been really depressed lately. The angel of the Lord told Elijah that. And the dude was a prophet. The dude was holy. He was holy and depressed at the same time. This means that if you're dealing with something, that does not mean that God is far from you. If you think that, wipe that off of your plate of your mind because God sees your depression. God sees your depressed season. Next verse. Journey's too much for you. He got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. The Lord wants you to know something. You've been in a depressed season. The journey's been long. The Lord wants you to know that he's going to give you enough bread and he's going to give you enough water for what's going on. He's not just going, see how he didn't take Elijah's depression away. He didn't take the, Oh, I want to die Lord away. It wasn't just that. Elijah needed someone to meet his needs because of what he was hearing, because of what he was going through, traveling, being threatened. I would be depressed if I had to travel all that dang way, just walk in that whole thing, getting my feet hurt, getting blisters, having to hear Jezebel's whiny mouth and just say she wants to threaten me. And then now I got to, I got to keep going. Put that last verse back up, Matt. 
verse 8. Strengthened by the food. God didn't take away what he was dealing with. He gave him something in the thing that he was dealing with. How crazy is that? He got up and ate and drank. So the word for you, if you're dealing with anxiety, if you're dealing with depression, that is your word for you to understand that if you would get with God, if you would get before his presence, he will give you food to eat and water to drink. He will provide in his presence. Because depression, for me, I have occasional depression, not, not seasonal. It's not like all the time. But you, agree, you, might, you might understand this. Things can be going right. Things can be going great. I have, I have, a, I have a great, I'm, I'm, I'm called. I have a great family. I have a relationship, a great relationship. I get to preach to you guys. I get to be on a great staff. It's great. But it's not, nothing's happening for me to be depressed sometimes. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Where it just hits you. And you sit in that place. Everything is going great. But you're in fear for your life or you feel so alone. Because depression will do that. And about the medical part. The thing I want to tell you, if you've been diagnosed, don't let that label you. Because if that labels you, that limits you. If you let what you're diagnosed with label you, you will never be able to do what you're supposed to do because now you're limited. Oh, I can't be used because I'm diagnosed with this and I'm diagnosed with that. And I deal with this and I deal with that. Last time I checked, God has used whoever he wanted, however he wanted for his glory. So what makes you think what you're going through won't be enough for him to use? I want someone to answer that. Now, obviously, don't do that. This is not a class. But what I'm saying is, is that I, you, we think that God doesn't use because, oh, it's this and that. God used a great prophet and the dude became depressed. God could have, you know what God could have done? He could have. Thrown Elijah away. Oh, you're depressed, dude? Depart from me. I never knew you. And then bring somebody else in. But no, he sent an angel. He sent himself to give him food to drink. Food to drink. It's like, it's like breathing sound. <laughs> it's like he gave him food to eat and water to drink. Food to eat and water to drink. And watch what he did. Go back to that verse, at verse seven. Try verse seven. Oh, I'm sorry. That I, I didn't. Uh, verse four. I'm I'm a, I'm out of trinkle. Yep. He prayed. He didn't pray a holy prayer. He prayed an honest prayer. He prayed a prayer that was on his heart, what was heavy on his chest, and he prayed it. He prayed. That he would die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Have you been that real with God lately? Just to tell him this stuff? Because it doesn't matter how you pray. It's when you do it. It's when you pray. Don't pray 
when you can say the these and the thous. Don't pray when you can quote scripture to God because he's, fought, he's cool with that, but it's annoying. I would be annoyed with you quoting scripture in my face. You need to be honest with your prayers because I've learned something about prayer. If I don't engage my heart and my emotions towards my prayer, it will mean nothing. If I don't engage how I'm really feeling right now, it won't work. Yeah, I pray for the church. I pray for y'all. I pray for my team. I pray for the missionaries, all that stuff. You pray for all this stuff. But there was times when things were happening like for real. And I had to talk to God for real. And I had to tell him, help me before I do something that I can't undo. Because if I do it, I'm going to look really bad. Stuff like that. Where the most holiest prayer you can pray is the most honest prayer that you can pray. If you can be honest with God, like Elijah was. Dude's a great prophet, fire down from heaven, all this stuff. And he prayed an honest prayer. He prayed an honest prayer. Your depression should not stop you from talking with God. You should not let what you're going through stop you from running to your father every time. Did you know that you could pray during, during a panic attack? Did you know that? I don't care what anybody says. I've done it. I've had panic attacks. Don't wait till it's on, you're on the ground and you can't breathe and you can't have a friend. Involve God. I'm serious. Involve God in your problem, in your diagnosis, in your dysfunction. Involve him. You want to die? Involve him. Involve him. You're feeling lonely right now? Involve him. Last time I checked, the God of the Bible is, is a big boy. He can handle what you give him. You have to stop thinking that God cannot handle what you say or think. Guess what? He knows your thoughts already. Guess what? He already knows what you're going to do. Guess what? He already knew you were going to sin against him. But what does he do? He loves you anyways. He loves you anyways. He does it for you anyways. Elijah wanted to die. He didn't finish the task. He wanted to die instead. How disobedient is that? No, 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 no. He sent the bread and the water for you to eat and for you to drink because God wants you to involve him in your problems. He wants you to involve him in your situations because look, people ain't trustworthy. I'm going to just say it right now. People ain't trustworthy. Not because they're not good people, but because they are only mere human beings. Elijah couldn't trust his, his sergeants to give him bread and water. They didn't bring any. They ate all of it. They were all hungry. They're probably anorexic because they didn't even eat anymore. I don't know. I'm just making it up. I thought it was funny. He didn't get it from his soldiers. He got it from an angel. So what you're wanting right now is not filled by your parents your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your coworker, your, your friends, none of that supplies what God can do. God can supply. Trust me, you can ask from that person all you want, but eventually they're going to get annoyed of you. Ain't that the truth? They'll get annoyed of you, but God never never gets annoyed with you.
because he wired you. He knew who you were. He created you in your mother's womb. He knows who you are. He's made you. So why not bring something to something that has created you? Elijah feared for his life, but it's encouraging to understand that God meets us in the middle of our depression and gives us the strength to continue. I want to jump to Psalm 91. I'm going to skip all these points because I ain't got enough time. Uh, Rachel, you can come on the piano. Psalm 91, verse 4 through 5. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Nor uh, You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow by day. Does this mean you have to stuff what you're going through? No, this just means that you are protected. When you go through something, you are protected. He will protect you with his presence, just like he did with Elijah, just like he did with Jesus. Even though Jesus went to the cross, God was still orchestrating his crucifixion. He was still orchestrating his death in order for you and me to be saved when we confess our sins and believe that he is Lord and Savior. He orchestrated that. He orchestrated that. And you have to understand that his presence is the shield. I talked about it last week, how instead of trying to fight lust or fight porn or fight sexual sin, you run towards your father. You run towards the presence of God. It's the same thing with this. You run towards it. You don't, you don't, you don't buckle back just because you think of what God is because of what people have told you. Just because people told you God is this way doesn't mean he's really that way. You have to answer that for yourself. You have to let God tell you that through his word. You got to let him tell you that through his presence. You got to let him tell you that through your prayer time. Through your prayer time. You have to let him know the presence of God is a shield to protect you from anxiety and depression. This is all rooted in fear. Anxiety is always rooted in fear. Worrying about what's going to happen. Philippians 4, verse 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. This means no matter what's going on. He's not just saying, oh, stop being an anxious little weirdo. Just pray. No, 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 no. He's saying if you are dealing with something right now, if you are anxious right now, if you have a lot of stuff going on within you, and if you tell anybody else, you're going to freak them out. You're going to overload them. You bring your request to me, says the Lord. You bring it to me, not Jimmy, who doesn't even listen to you anyways, not just Samantha, who just talks over you because she thinks what she's going through is better than what you're going through. No, no, no. You bring it to me because I know exactly what you're going through. God knows exactly. If you don't believe me, try it for yourself. The antidote to worry is prayer antidote of anxiety and depression and anything that goes on in your life is meeting with God and asking him, God, can you, can you involve yourself in what I'm going through? Stuff I don't tell people is stuff I don't tell even my closest family or my closest friends. This is something that's in me. Sometimes I don't even look at it. Sometimes I don't even talk about it with myself, but Lord, 
can you do something with this? Thanksgiving in the face of fear and anxiety will unlock God's peace in your heart. Give thanks in prayer and experience that freedom. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Tonight, even though you may not feel like it or it may not make sense sometimes, I want you to begin tonight to thank God for every way He has provided for you, protected you, blessed you. And when, we, when we're thankful in His presence, it gives us peace. And it overrules anxiety and depression within our lives. If you would do that, I'm, now let's, let's do this first. Every head bowed, every close, I want you to do this. I want you to do a little sample. You don't have to do it here because it might be overwhelming for you. You might want to do it at home or you might want to do it in your own personal time with God. But I want you to give something to God right now that you don't even tell anyone in your circle. That you don't even tell your friends about. You don't even tell your closest relationship. You don't even tell your girlfriend or boyfriend about it. This is something that you want to bring to God. Say, Lord, I want I want to show you this. I want to show you this. Lord, I've been in a lonely place. I've been in a depressed place lately. I've been in a dark place. I have a lot of I have great friends, I have great family, I have everything I need in this in external, but internal I feel so lonely. I feel so alone. I feel depressed. Even if the situation is good or bad, my the inside of me is not good. The inside of me is not right. I feel off. Lord, involve yourself. Lord, we invite you right now as whatever student is giving you permission, Lord, we give you permission to come into our lonely place, to come into our depressed place, to come into our dark places that we don't even tell our closest people. We want you to be in that place. We want you to go to that place because nobody else can really understand it but you. People can try, people can... I, I, I have a heart for empathetic people, Lord, but... But really, you're the only one. It makes sense. You created me. So it makes sense that I would go to you with something that you knew that was going to come down the road. You knew this was going to come down the road. And yet you prepared me. You've been conducting my life and my situations because you've known me from the beginning. When you created me. When you created us. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would touch every heart with the, as they give you a little sample, Lord, of what they're, what they're dealing with, what their depression looks like. And Father, I pray that you would challenge every student and every leader and every person in this room this week that they can bring something. Let them start small, Lord, but Lord, encourage them to go with something bigger, something that is a little bit bigger than me, something that I don't even tell everybody else. I don't tell my close people. I need to bring this to God. I need Jesus for this. This is a big job. I need you, Lord, to handle this. No therapist can do it. No close friend that can just listen to me can't do it sometimes. I need you. Lord, I need you. Thank you, Lord, for involving yourself in our problems. 
as we give you permission, Lord, because you are a generous God. You're not a forceful God. You give us the choice to let you in. So, Lord, we make the choice to let you in our depressed area, to let you in our dark state. Even though we might look good on the outside, Lord God, we know that in the inside is what you want to deal with. You don't care on how many scriptures we've memorized. You don't care about how high we can raise our hands. Lord, you want to deal with the interior part of our hearts, of our souls, of our emotions, of our minds. You want to deal with all of that. So Lord, we invite you to deal with that right now. We give you a little snippet for now, but Lord, we pray that we can trust you. Not just a blind trust, not just to be like, oh yeah, just... But Lord, we pray that we can genuinely trust in you, not just some type of fake trust that we tell other people to look good. I pray, Lord, that we would have genuine trust in you and in your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you are showing us that you are involved in our mental health, that you are involved in our overthinking thoughts, that you are involved in our anxious state. And we thank you for your presence hovering our minds, hovering our hearts. As we go on with our week, I pray that you would, Lord, invade their minds and Lord, comfort them with your word, comfort them with your encouragement and that you would solidify what was spoken here tonight. Let it not fall on on bad soil or let it go deep within our hearts to where we can remember that we can go to you when we're going through something that you're not, you're not, you're not intimidated. You're not, you're not insecure about what we're going through. Lord, you are God. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would stay in that place for the rest of us this week. We love you. We praise you. Lord, we give you glory and honor because of who you are, what you're doing, and what you're revealing to us in these services. We thank you for your awesome presence and your everlasting love and joy. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen.